particular situation or that particular situation. So I'll put out a product for them uh, for any potential disruptive weather that may occur in this hemisphere uh, uh, and uh, to help them uh, keep a heads-up attitude toward uh, what might be coming along and not just being uh, uh, occupied by what's going on right now. Well, as I said, you might give me a jumping-off place, and uh, I feel kind of like we might be getting weather for free that belongs to the people that you work for. But no, uh, <laughs> looking looking into that bag of things about the weather that you keep up with every day, uh, sort of what's what's interesting, what's going on now that that is the same or different? Uh, and somehow I feel like something is a little bit different this year because we've had a we had a very uh, very warm winter. I thought. Uh, you know, I was in the hospital for or, or mm-hmm. re- re- recuperating for about three months in a recuperation center, and I was not at home. And I came home and I asked my wife about uh, turning the thermostat up, and she hadn't touched it in three months, and, uh, <laughs> which meant the weather was, you know, kind of steady and relatively mild. If you see what I mean, so. Well, that's right. Uh, here in here in North Carolina, we did have a much above normal uh, winter time period. And, uh, you know, each part of the country tends to be uh, a little bit different. I mean, there were parts of, of the uh, northern central part of the, of the country and up in the Great Lakes that were very cold. And, uh, and we were pretty warm down here. And, and interestingly enough, Tom, it's, it's practically the reverse right now. They're much warmer than average up in the Great Lakes region, and they're going to be uh, experiencing a very hot July uh, up there in the Great Lakes region, whereas we here in North Carolina are expected to be maybe normal, maybe even a half degree below normal for the next uh, few weeks. So uh, it, it kind of, you, you trade different places, it seems, uh, depending on what time of year and, and where your location is. And uh, and so uh, most of the hot weather, uh, above normal hot weather, looks like it's going to be a little bit north of us, uh, as I mentioned, up in the Great Lakes region over to New England and uh, and into southern Canada, as a matter of fact. Uh, Here in North Carolina in the southeast, we're looking for mainly uh, a temperate type of, uh, I call it temperate. What I mean, again, is is sort of like an average or maybe even slightly cooler than average um, uh, summer. Of course, here, our average temperature right in this Raleigh-Durham area is 90 degrees for the high and 70 degrees for the low at this time of year. So when I say cooler, you know, for those of, of you who may be new to the area, it's still not exactly cool. It's just that it's not as hot as it could be. And, um, you know, I, I happen to look uh, uh, heading into July now at, uh, it, you know, typically we think of 100 plus degree days, you know, 100 uh, uh, days in which we have 100 plus degree temperatures. And it's, uh, and Tom, I haven't seen 100-plus degree temperatures since uh, three years ago, July 22nd and 23rd uh, here at RDU. So even though we've had some warmer-than-average months during the summer, our our hottest, uh, our heat waves seem to have subsided somewhat uh, here in in North Carolina, Uh, whereas, you know, about, um, you know, the early part of the last decade, you know, 2010, 2011, 2012, we had several heat waves where we would have several days of 100-plus degree weather. So uh, the last couple, three years, we've actually been on the temperate side here in North Carolina. Uh, 
hopefully that will that will continue because uh, although I like warm weather, 100 plus degrees uh, here with all the humidity uh, can be kind of oppressive. Well, I, you know, it's funny how you remember things. I generally have been told I have a pretty good memory, and I was thinking about what you said about the, the end of the last decade, around 2010. We were adding on to our house then, and we're getting new air conditioning, and somehow we had to make the old air conditioning last, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And yeah. in July of 2010, I think yes. we had a week that it was over 100 every day. Yes. And that was yes. the As a matter of fact, uh, uh, a good portion of North Carolina, uh, July the 6th through the July the 8th, and then again July 23rd through July 25th of 2010. So that's at least six days that... Uh, that we had 100 plus degree temperatures uh, here, uh, and and over a good portion of central North Carolina. Uh, the the last three of the the ones in the 20s, my wife is fond of candles. You know how ladies are, and so we've got <laughs> these nice candle holders and candles that were up straight, and we we checked them one afternoon, and they had they had bent over. They had just they were still solid, you know, still in one piece, but they had just wilted. And, uh, oh gosh. And it was oh my. a sense of how hot it was, and, and yeah. the air conditioning was only halfway working. I mean, we went out and got a couple of fans, and I survived, but uh, oh my. it made me want to have that air conditioning working again. So that's how, how I remember, and, and, and now we're in, we, and I remember, too, like you said, we usually have sort of 90, 70, 90, 70, 90, 70. And yep. I think that I, the time that I've been paying note over the last month, it's been more likely to be mid to low 60s and uh, 80, 85 or something like that. Right. You know, there have been days, and we're going to have apparently a week of of 90-plus uh, days. But, but oh, yeah, there'll be, this is, there'll be some hot weather coming up, but it, it just won't be uh, as uh, blistering as perhaps what we've seen in some episodes in the past, that's all. Well, okay, let's take a break. That's, I'm glad to hear you saying that because that's, you know, I've said a thousand times when you're you're here, and uh, this is why I love to have you and, and Nick and other people here. I, I used to want to be a meteorologist, and I first thing I do in the morning is look at the, your website to see what the weather is supposed to be like. And by the way, I noticed there are no uh, pre-cyclone systems in the Atlantic Basin right now. Tonight I checked that out. and But, but in, in the upcoming minutes here, Maybe we can talk about the hurricane season because we haven't sure. had a chance to talk about that. And also about the Saharan dust storm. Uh, okay. What you may know about that. So a little promo for our friends who are listening. And you said something earlier about people who may, uh, may, may be newcomers. That's one reason I like to do these programs because you can acquaint people with you know the kind of stuff they can expect. For instance, if you haven't experienced a hurricane, you don't really quite know what's going to happen. And uh and, uh, and even if you thought you experienced a hurricane, <laughs> there are hurricanes, and then there are hurricanes. We have new. Well, exactly. I, I you know, I started with uh, with Hazel, but uh, lately they've been different. They they're different kind of critters now. More water, yeah. not not as much wind, etc. There's a lot to talk about with Rod Gonski, uh, our resident. That's in quotes because we don't have any money to pay him. But he's our, <laughs> our meteorologist, and he will be back in just a couple of minutes after we do this. About the weather and taking a larger look at it, what's under the tent, the weather tent. And right before we went away, Rod uh, got around to mentioning something that, that the official season began a month ago, as a matter of fact, on June 1st. That's right. Official. 
beginning of hurricane season. That's right, and there's already been four uh, disturbances that they've named. Uh, so we're all the way through Dolly, and our next uh, one is expected to be Edward, whenever that uh, should occur. Now, you mentioned uh, that there's not much going on right now, but, you know, one of the things I was working on just today uh, uh, for the company that I work for uh, was looking out uh, off our coast here next week, uh, expecting a low-pressure area to develop uh, off the Carolinas uh, by about next Wednesday. And it could start taking on some uh, tropical characteristics. But uh, the fortunate thing is that it looks like uh, that whatever forms out there would be pushed eastward and not uh, not affect our coast. So uh, we're, you know, just sort of a heads up right now because it's just started uh, showing up on the models uh, today and last night. And uh, uh, But it's something that, uh, that I highlighted uh, uh, that uh, we'll have to watch out for. So if well, let, does, me ask uh, you one, let me ask you a question right here. You know, I yeah. have a, uh, an affection for something that appears in the Atlantic uh, in, in the summer. And uh, could yeah. it be that the Bermuda High is out there somewhere? Oh, there's always a Bermuda High. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it takes on different shapes okay. and different configurations so that uh, sometimes it's much larger than other years. Uh, and right. sometimes it extends down into the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, and when it does extend all the way down into the Gulf of Mexico, we can actually get very dry here. And that happened uh, back in the uh, late 2000s, the previous decade, around 2007. Uh, I remember a lot of the Bermuda highs uh, extending way way down through the Gulf of Mexico. And, and, most, and when that happens, our winds, instead of coming more from the south, they come from the west off the land, and they tend to be very dry. And, oh. uh, and so we can get into a drought-type situation if the Bermuda High sets up in the wrong configuration. Uh, but it does have uh, much control over our, uh, our, our weather as, as one of the subtropical high-pressure systems from around the world. And uh, it, it is the most controlling uh, here in the summertime, and uh, that's when it uh, reaches its uh, largest extent. So... Uh, so, yes, we do have a Bermuda high. <laughs> well, I was saying, well, when you were talking about the low being pressed up against the coast, I thought, well, this could be one well, of this year. It, it, you are correct. This year uh, it, it is being pushed up against the coast, but uh, and it's because the, uh, the high pressure, uh, the periphery of the high is right there along the Gulf Stream. Which, uh, and and is one that, of the things that I've learned and that the people who, who follow this want to learn is, is and I'm, I'm stating this and you get to co you correct me if I'm wrong, but the Bermuda High is one of those things that has a lot to do with the steering of hurricanes and oh, where, where they go. Yes, yes. Uh, and and uh, uh, so, yeah, it, it is a major driver of, of hurricanes. Now, getting back a little bit to early in the season, I mean, July is typically not a hurricane month, per se. Even though it's in the season, we typically have very few hurricanes uh, affecting us in July. Uh, I mean, there are, there are exceptions. I mean, the last, uh, the last July hurricane that we saw was Arthur back in uh, 2004. 14. So about six years ago on July, uh, it actually came in for Independence Day. It was right along the coast uh, of North Carolina. And then before that, uh, Bertha of 96, which uh, I'm sure you probably remember because it uh, actually came inland as a Category 2 hurricane on July 12th of 1996. So they, they can happen, but really it's not until mid-August that we start seeing some of these classic uh, Cape Verde Island-type 
uh, hurricanes that come all the way across the tropical Atlantic and, uh, and impact uh, here in the southeastern United States uh, in the Caribbean area. Indeed, I do remember, Bertha, because, you know, I have one of those outside lights that the power company will put up for you, and I had to have oh, it yeah. replaced twice that year, one for Bertha and one for Fran. <laughs> the thing got blown away. I mean, yeah, that was, was a busy week, year. Last week of July is when Bertha came. And that was uh, that was a busy year in 1996. So, oh, uh, indeed it was. Yeah. So this year, uh, the uh, the the outlook for this year is that we're expecting to have uh, above normal activity in the tropics once it gets going. Uh, it uh, we're expected to have. Uh, and when I say we are, I meant that like the uh, NOAA National Weather Service. Their uh, their forecast is coming out with uh, third, anywhere from 13 to 19 named storms, uh, six to 10 hurricanes, and three to six of those could be major hurricanes. So uh, most of the groups that uh, that produce seasonal hurricane forecasts, like Colorado State, uh, which is the Bill Gray. Outfit uh, uh, the late Bill Gray, who who developed seasonal forecasting for hurricanes to begin with, uh, their group is now also predicting above normal. Uh, and there's there's only a couple of uh, groups or entities uh, that that are suggesting that we might have a little bit less than than normal activity. Of course, it only takes one storm, though, uh, Tom. You know, you know, back in 1992, I probably keep bringing that up, but. Andrew in 1992 was the only major hurricane of that year, and and uh, uh, there were very few at, on that particular year. But that that one storm, you know, hit South Florida, and uh, and then went on to hit the uh, New Orleans area in, in Louisiana, and uh, it caused a lot, a lot of a lot of grief down there as a Category Four, Five uh, type storm. So. Uh, so it only takes one in the season to be a real disaster, and uh, if, if all the rest stay out to sea, it uh, it really doesn't impact you that much. But it's good to know that there, uh, if, if it is going to be an active year, and that that you might have to pay attention a little bit more closely than than uh, than, than normal. Uh, something that uh, we had uh, had uh, Barry Porter, who's with the Red Cross on. Uh, back in the early part of June, I usually try to have him on around the beginning of hurricane season because they are they have an interest. The Red Cross does in in, in you know sure. organizing relief on the coast Absolutely. and everything. And this uh, coronavirus. They and the insurance companies, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the coronavirus is going to complicate matters to some extent, you know, because you know if they if people have to go to to shelters, they tend to be crowded in a, a lot and. Uh, yep. It's just going to be, we're just in a different world, so we've got to pay more attention, I think, this year. I sort of consider uh, August 23rd, which I believe is the date that Andrew came in, um, sort of the beginning of hurricane season, and for people who are new to the area, the, the, the high point of the hurricane season here is usually, check me again, it's usually between like September 5th and September 10th, or somewhere along in there. Yep. Right around September 10th, and and being that the last big one to hit Raleigh was Fran in '96, that came in on September 6th, so it was right in that window of time uh, that we'll have to watch for. You know, before uh, uh, before before the last Hold break, on. you mentioned oh, can I that. I stop you right yeah. here. You sound like you're yeah, ready sure. to start on something new, and it'll be better okay. to wait. We'll use a tease here because the news okay. is coming up. Rod Gonski is All that right. guy over there. He's talking about the weather. He's our guest tonight, and we're talking about the hurricane season and what it, it offers and what it promises, and uh, we'll see about that. In the meantime, you're listening to News Radio 
680 WPTF, the Tom Kearney Show on Tuesday night, and we'll be back after the news. that the hurricane season began and that uh, the meteorological, that is to say, the, the, the way the meteorologists count it, the way that summer began. Uh, Rod, you're still there, aren't you? I'm still here. Yeah, you guys you guys count summer as beginning meteorologically on June 1st, and astrologic, astronomically it began about a week ago, as a matter of fact. Uh, on, right. Uh, when, whenever the... The uh, the sun crossed a certain point on the on the the earth as it was well it had tilted as far as it was going to tilt and it was almost overhead and so and we're the days are but, getting shorter slowly but surely now. But meteorolo- meteorologically, the the warmest uh, temperatures don't arrive here until the third week of July. Yeah, we were talking about so, uh, June, June, uh, July twenty fifth. That was the day my candle melted, and I was telling you about it a little bit earlier. <laughs> But that, but and, you know, that but usually there's a lag. Usually there's a lag period of the uh, the actual warmest weather takes that long for the atmosphere and uh, surrounding water to uh, to warm up so that you actually uh, see your warmest temperatures typically the second and third week of July. Okay. Well, now we were talking about hurricanes. Do we have any any further that you want to go with that right now? Well, you know, as I mentioned, uh, July tends to be kind of a uh, uh, a sparse month as far as hurricane activity, typically, okay? Uh, I mean, there could be some storms around. We've seen uh, some uh, hurricanes in the past in July, but they're few and far between. Uh, but I, in, in one of the breaks we were discussing, Tom, you mentioned uh, about uh, there seems to be some difference in, in hurricanes now uh, than uh, than they were before. Did you did you have something else that you wanted to ask me about regarding that? No, no, no not that I remember. It's just they, well, things are a little different, and they uh, the, the hurricanes that, that that I first became aware of you know, back in the fifties and sixties tended to be. The, we thought the threat was wind, and they tended to have a lot more wind involved. And of late, we've had more Harveys and, and uh, Florences and, and a lot of slow-moving things with a lot of water being dumped, even not necessarily for hurricanes, but for tropical storms. That's correct. And uh, we, we do see differences in the, in the, uh, in the way that the hurricanes have, uh, have been driven northward or the way they move around. And in a, in a case like Harvey or a Florence, you had situations in which uh, the, the storms tended to stall out over one area. They got caught between other weather systems, and they became stationary and uh, just dumped a lot, of, a lot of water. Now, it's not, it's not uh, well, I'm going to say you've probably heard before, and that is things tend to be cyclical. And, uh, you know, one of the, one of the famous uh, July hurricanes that came ashore in the southeast was was all the way back in 1916, uh, and uh, that storm in, in 19 it was occurred in the middle of July in 1916 and went up to uh, the mountains of North Carolina and uh, created the uh, uh, you know the, one of the heaviest rainfall amounts in 24 hours that ever occurred. I know we've got Florence now with almost three feet of water near the coast. I'm not sure what the span of time was for that amount of water. But uh, back, uh, back in 1916, uh, you had, uh, this was over 100 years ago, 
they had their heaviest amount of, of water in 24 hours, about 22 and a half inches of rain in Alta Pass up in the up in the mountains. So it can happen, uh, and it can be enhanced by by storms that uh, get caught between weather systems, or by storms that get caught. Uh, in the mountains, in, in where you have higher terrain, that also happened in the Hurricane Mitch, which back in 1998, which of course didn't hit the United States, but in Central America where it did go, it got caught in the mountains there and produced 75 inches of, of rainfall and tremendous flooding uh, down in Honduras uh, uh, with that storm in, in 1998. So they, you know, when when you think of a hurricane, uh, and and really that's any hurricane now, uh, you, you have to think of freshwater flooding as being your primary concern because normally what's going to happen if the hurricane comes up to the coast, we're all pretty much directed to evacuate the coastline. And so the storm surge hopefully will not catch you because hopefully you'll be evacuated before it gets there. Uh, storm surges used to be uh, a major problem for, for people uh, that remained on the coast, and uh, for instance, the Galveston hurricane back in 1900, which killed eight to twelve thousand people, uh, occurred because the storm surge trapped people on the island of Galveston, and they had no way to evacuate, and uh, uh, and, and ended up getting killed. And, and of course, there was a famous book written about that uh, called Isaac Storm. Uh, which was uh, written by Eric Larson uh, a number of years ago, which is an interesting read. Uh, but the uh, but since uh, since we've got such good hurricane evacuation plans now, uh, the main threat for for uh, for you know the threat to life and property is from major flooding, freshwater flooding that can occur from uh, from a hurricane. Of course, here in North Carolina, we had. Uh, you know, as mentioned, Florence. But we, before that, we had Floyd back in uh, 1999, yeah. and uh, say, that you know flooded pretty much all of eastern North Carolina. I was going to say, Rod, uh, I've been here the whole time. You know, going back to to Hazel and Floyd was a lesson to us because that was the first hurricane I can remember. It basically turned eastern North Carolina into a lake. Yeah, uh, <laughs> sure did. Uh, and and it lasted for a long time, as far as the. Uh, the amount of uh, flooding that occurred, uh, it took forever, it seemed like, to uh, for the water levels to go down. Right, exactly. Uh, well, I'm going to change the subject because... Uh, sure. And we can we can circle back to anything that you, if you were think, well, we didn't really cover that well. well. But I want you to talk about the dust storm because they, they've been saying this Sahara dust, has, it, some version of it happens every year. Just the difference this year is we got a lot more dust, and I, I, well, I just don't remember ever hearing about it before. I know it's uh, it's something that doesn't really make the news that much because it doesn't seem to be all that dramatic most of the time. But you know, since we've gotten such high resolution satellites in orbit now, uh, up over the uh, to to look at every piece of the Earth uh, at 24 hours a day. And ways of enhancing uh, that high-resolution photography, uh, it's, it's become quite a phenomenon. I, I can remember, though, uh, when I first got into the National Weather Service uh, back in the mid-'70s, and, and we, we, we saw the first satellite imagery of the Atlantic, uh, and you, you see this fine haze coming across the Atlantic uh, from Africa, and uh, normally you could only see it uh, during the sunrise hours uh, over the Atlantic, and uh, in the sunset hours, because you needed a sharp sun angle to see 
the dust, uh, you know, the, the refraction of the light or the reflection of the light uh, coming off the dust uh, at a certain angle in order to actually see it. Well, now they, they have special uh, photography that they can uh, actually, you know, really highlight that, and that's what people probably have seen uh, on their TV uh, weather programs uh, in, in, in the recent weeks. Uh, typically, this time of year, uh, which is when I say this time of year, actually I'm talking about June most of the time, uh, we do see the highest occurrence of, uh, of dust coming off of Africa. Some years it's worse than others. Uh, almost counterintuitively, some of the worst dust uh, periods uh, of the Saharan uh, Desert are when you have a lot of thunderstorm activity occurring just south of the Sahara, over the Sahel region or the central parts of uh, tropical Africa. And that's what we've got this year. We have a lot of thunderstorms, and, th and uh, that, um, that phenomena helps stir the air. Uh, in, uh, you would think that it would rain it out or, or tamp it down, but in areas just beyond where the thunderstorms are, it actually increases the wind over the Sahara, and that's what helps pr pick up the... Uh, Saharan dust, and, and there's, a, there's a phenomenon called the Saharan air layer, and that's where this dust, this dust gets caught. It's in a layer that's between 5,000 feet above the surface to as much as 15,000 feet above the surface, and uh, at that level, it can transport right across the Atlantic, as we just saw, and uh, disperse over the Caribbean and the, and the Gulf of Mexico and then up into the southeastern United States. So we've had a we've had a pretty good strong surge uh, in the last week or so. You know, I went out there uh, with my wife on uh, Saturday evening and Sunday morning, trying to see if the uh, you know what effect that would had because some of the highest concentrations here in Central North Carolina occurred over the weekend. Uh, but it actually uh, diminished the the redness. It was more of a grayish tinge rather than uh, than a red. And I I probably think that that occurs uh, because it's at a lower a lower altitude than what some uh, some other phenomena are phenomena are such as volcanic ash. Now volcanic ash can extend way up beyond that up into the stratosphere and. Uh, and I think that at that higher level, it has a better chance of refracting the, 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 the light to cause it to be more red. Uh, and uh, in this situation here, the Saharan dust was at a lower altitude, and I thought all that ended up was hazing up the sky without adding much color to it. You know, I've been a fan of Krakatoa all my life, and I, one of the things <laughs> yes. I noticed as I got older yes. is much more attention it's been paid to the particles in the air and what may have been yeah. spewed up by well, first one thing and another. And as a historian, I can tell you that, uh, and you know this too, that the year 1816 is the right. year that it supposedly didn't have a winter. Uh, right. Or, or summer. Well, it, had, it didn't have a summer. <laughs> it didn't have a summer, Tom. Yeah, it was summer. Okay, I got it backwards. But, uh, <laughs> it, it, but it, the, the cause of it was uh, the, uh, not Krakatoa, but uh, another volcano in. Uh, what is now Indonesia had blown its top and spewed a whole lot of stuff up into the air. Right, Timbora or whatever else Timbora, that went off that, that, that year. Yeah, yeah that was uh, 1816, I believe it was. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, there have been books written about that. I think you mentioned one about uh, written by Simon Winchester, maybe. Yeah, uh, that had to do with that. And uh, and you know, volcanic ash at that. You know. 
we, we've had a we had an uh, incident of cooling from volcanic ash uh, during 1992 with Pinatubo. I don't know if you remember that or not. Right. Yeah. But uh, so it, wasn't, a, it wasn't. It wasn't as dramatic as, uh, as it wasn't as dramatic uh, as as in 1816. But there was definitely a cooling effect across North America uh, during that year. Okay. Let's stop and take a little break here, and uh, you can gather gather your energy and your sure. your your breath, and, and we'll see if there's anything else that you would like to talk about in the last quarter of this program. Rod Gutsky is our meteorologist. We're talking about the weather and some of the phenomena that we have to be aware of that are generating our weather, uh, and uh, we will come back and talk some more right after we take this. Tom Kearney on the Tom Kearney Show on this Tuesday night, June 30th, and uh, Rod Gonski, our, our weather guy, our meteorologist, uh, is is uh, uh, talking with us tonight about the weather and and phenomena in general. And I guess Rod, uh, unless you have something that you particularly wanted to draw to our attention to, I'd ask you to 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 go back to where I was when I started tonight, and that is, is there anything? Really, out there, that's unusually that's different that that you've noticed in in your you know casting your eyes over the weather of the world. You know, is the El Nino or El Nina different? <laughs> is the water hotter? You know, those kinds of things. Well, one thing I did want to get across to your local listening audience uh, before we uh, depart is that uh, one of the main hazards uh, that we're heading into here in July is the threat of lightning. And uh, by by far, uh, you know, we have 45 thunderstorm days a year. That's days in which thunderstorms occur, and the bulk of them occur uh, at this time of year. And uh, we we have uh, now lightning detection equipment, uh, ground based, and also up in the satellites. And uh, we have better than ever lightning uh, monitoring going on uh, that we ever have had before. And of course, lightning, uh, especially the cloud to ground discharges, can uh, be something that uh, that you always want to be aware of, and uh, never to forget the thirty thirty rule, as they call it. If you hear, if you hear, if you see lightning, uh, and then uh, are within thirty seconds of the uh, associated thunder, it's too close to be outdoors, and uh, and also uh, you should wait about thirty minutes after the last thunder has been heard before you venture back to do your outdoor activity. And I think a lot of your uh, area uh, pools and parks and, and recreation, those that are still managing to uh, to, to operate uh, under the latest conditions that we have, uh, you know, follow that 30-30 rule uh, for, for lightning danger. Now, as far as... Uh, uh, Differences in, uh, that I might be detecting. You know, I've I've been in this business since the early '70s, and it, you know, uh, you, you do get into different cycles of weather uh, and different different types of patterns. Uh, this year, I'm I'm very pleased to say that that things here in the in, you know locally and all, not only locally but in in many other areas uh, are very normal compared to uh, what we've seen in the past. We don't really have a strong drought pattern. Uh, we seem to be watered very well, and as far as El Nino, La Nina, and that type of thing, the the conditions are rather neutral out on the Pacific uh, this year, which has got the, which, is, which has got its own pattern of of weather extremes to a certain degree in certain parts of the world. 
But uh, for here in, in southeastern United States, uh, we're actually uh, uh, pretty normal as far as uh, weather at this point in time uh, during the uh, during the year of 2020. I want you to to do some bibliography with me now. You know, I like books, and the two books particularly, sure. are, and you you can help me with these. One of them you've already mentioned, and that is Isaac Storm, which is just a wonderful right. book to read, and it's by. You got to help me remember his name. He's got a brand new book out on Winston Churchill now, but he's the guy that wrote the White City uh, uh, book. And uh, oh gosh, um, uh, are we talking um, still about Eric Larson? Eric Larson, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He, he, yeah. Uh, he, he's written a number of books that have sold very well. And the other book is the one that you recommended to me. I think a guy named John Barrow or something like that did it. It's a collection of. Uh, essays on different people who've made contributions to uh, to the study of meteorology and and uh, in America. Yeah, one of the one of the good books for 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 weather history uh, is is a book by uh, by John Cox was his name. Maybe and uh, it's called Storm Watchers. Right. And yes, each yes. chapter is about a different individual who who increased the knowledge and helped uh, progress the. Uh, the, the science of meteorology and atmospheric sciences, uh, and, and, it, and it ranges all the way back to Ben Franklin with his, uh, with his studies, uh, and comes up through Ed Lorenz, who, uh, who discovered chaos theory uh, back around 1964 at MIT. So uh, it's a fascinating read because you could take each chapter. Uh, it doesn't have to be in sequence, uh, but you can, uh, you can read about these individuals and... Uh, and uh, like you, Tom, I'm, I'm much into history, uh, but especially history of weather. Right. Yeah, I am, too. And and we've had many, as we close out now, wonderful conversations over the years about weather as we have tonight, and even some as has weather affected history, like on D-Day and things like that. Rod Gunston oh, yeah. has, been our, has been our guest tonight. With the good Lord willing, we'll have him back before too long, if he's willing to come back, and we'll talk about the weather. But... Rod, we appreciate your being willing to be on with us tonight and hope uh, things continue to go well for you. And we'll be talking to you. Thank tomorrow. you, Tom, and same to you. Thank Take you. Take care. Okay. Rod Gunsby tonight. Uh, tomorrow night, uh, we're going to have a, uh, a nostalgia night. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of North Carolina potpourri and some things you might want to know about the state of North Carolina or that make it, that make it interesting. And uh, we're going to talk uh, about uh, the Battle of Gettysburg. Uh, as a military thing, on uh, Thursday night. Uh, it'll be one of the anniversaries of the second day at Gettysburg. Uh, 